Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. What a day, what a time. I love coming out, not just to this church, but this area. I firmly believe that God is doing something here um, in this particular area, and I am so privileged to be a witness to it. Um, Every time I come, something awesome happens. Uh, I checked into my hotel on Friday, and when I checked in, they said, oh, good afternoon, Mrs. Oltoff, which Mrs. Oltoff sounds weird. That's like my mother-in-law. I'm too young, man. No. I said, good afternoon, Mrs. Oltoff. We have an upgrade for you. Oh, yes, Lord, I will receive that. If you've ever grown up poor, or as I like to say, po, like you can't afford the OR, then you will appreciate a good upgrade. Do I have any people that feel me this morning? Yeah, two. Okay, great. But, you know, I love if you get a a promotion at work and they say, congratulations, you've been given an upgrade in pay. Or it's been a sport of mine. It's, it's a sport. It really is. Where I am about to rent a car. I go to a car rental facility and I always see like an internal uh, game. Can I get a free upgrade? Well, I had flown to Atlanta and uh, there was a long line outside of Hertz car rental facility. And the guy behind the counter looked as if he wasn't just having a bad day. He was having a bad life. Like, he hadn't smiled since 1942. I mean, this guy was just not feeling it. And uh, I finally made it up to the front counter, and I told myself, I'm like, I'm going to make this guy laugh. I'm going to make this guy smile. I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm going to sprinkle some love. He's just going to feel the spirit of God. Like, it's going to be good. And I went up, and I was laying it on thick. I tried talking about my nail art, talking about the class of car I got, and he just was not budging. And he said, well, what kind of car did you get, and what's your name? And I said, well... My name is Bianca, but you can call me Beyonce because I'm the real queen, okay? <laughs> See, you laughed. He did it. He was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he said, well, what class of car did you get? And I said, I got the economy basic, but, you know, if you have a Ferrari, I will take that. And uh, he, he, he laughed. So he finally laughed. Not the place that I wanted him to laugh, but he said, girl, this is Atlanta. We ain't got no Ferraris. And I said, okay, okay. He said, let me see what I could do. So he uh, printed out my paperwork, and at the top of my paperwork, there is a number corresponding to the stall that my rental car was going to be in. So he said, have a great day, and I took my paperwork, and I had signed up for the economy car, the low-budget car. So I rolled out, and if you have a Yaris, God bless you, have a Yaris. My Yaris that I paid for didn't have, you know, power steering or, or air conditioning. So I was like, oh, Jesus, I hope I got an upgrade, man. So I get out to the cars, and I see here are all the economy cars. And we move from, like, the Yaris's to the Corollas. I was like, oh, okay, Lord. But then I keep on moving to the Priuses. I get to save the environment for Jesus. Come on. All right. Then I make it to the Camrys. I was like, whoa, he do it. Yes, God. But then I had to keep on walking. And I, I, I thought that there was a mistake because when I saw the number on the paperwork that corresponded with the number on the floor to the car in that parking stall, I said there had to be a mistake. In front of me was a loaked out drop top black with tinted windows, Mercedes Benz. 
with rims, okay? You know you in Hotlanta when your rent-a-car facility has a place with rims. Won't he do it? I wanted to pull out a pocket shofar. I wanted to wave a praise banner and say, yes, Jesus, you are so good. Very, very excited because this Bougetto queen came up. I was like, yes, Lord, yes. Twirl for Jesus. Come on. I was so excited. So if we are not careful, though, how many know that we could take God's blessings and then turn them into God's burdens. All of a sudden we're blessed by God and all of a sudden it feels like a heavy burden. Well, the reason why I say this is because I got into the car and I realized from complete excitement to complete chair and fear that I had two problems. One was an internal problem, one was an external problem. The internal problem was I'm going to a Christian leadership conference. And if I roll up, see some of y'all are laughing because you're already judging, all right? If I roll up to this Christian leadership conference in this locked out bougie car, people are gonna be like, there's the snake oil salesman fleecing the flock. They always want money, right? So that's what I'm thinking. And I'm like, I can't show up in this car. The second problem I had was that the car was stick. And I'm from California, my car is always automatic. So I'm thinking, as I'm sitting there in the car, Lord, I, I don't know what to do. Do I walk back over to my angry friend at Hertz and say, thank you so much for this free upgrade, this free blessing, but I don't know what to do with it and I'm afraid of pe what people will think? Or do I just say, girl, you've come too far to only come this far. You will figure this out. So all the way down the Atlanta highway, I'm like jerking and popping out of second and third, but we made it. And I parked in the back so nobody judged me, you know. But we made it. And it was a beautiful experience, it was so amazing. And I parallel this experience to a journey that I've gone on that didn't entail a, a fancy car, but entailed my walk with God. As Christians, I wanted to learn more about God and his son Jesus and the power of the presence of God, the spirit of God for my life. But see, I was faced with an internal and external problem. The external problem was that I was afraid of what people would think about me as I try to draw closer to God, as I try to understand the power of his spirit. And the other problem was that, like, I don't know what to do with it. I I've never understood what a spirit-filled life is. You know, I don't necessarily speak Christianese. I grew up in the church. Do you guys know what Christianese is? <laughs> you didn't know that you speak Christianese. You're bilingual and don't even know it. Some of you are trilingual and don't even know it. If you've been raised in the church, you've been to Sunday school or vacation Bible school, or you pick up on a language that we may not even be aware of. For example... If you've come to church and uh, you came by yourself and you're angry, you're bitter, your alarm clock was missed, you missed your alarm clock and people are cutting you off on the freeway and you've said a bunch of four letter words, none of them were love. And, and then you come into church and someone greets you and says, hi, good morning, how are you? So good, blessed, blessed, glory, hallelujah. That's Christianese. If you were a parent and you came to church and you almost beat your child to death because of the attitude that they came and you send them off to Sunday school as your cherubim and your cherubim, oh, wonderful, my little angels are going to Sunday school. Guess what? You speak Christianese. 
The problem is that sometimes we adopt Christianese as our language, as a mode to communicate our relationship with God, but we don't even really know what we're saying. We don't know the power that we possess because of the Spirit of God that resides within us. See, Jeremiah said, seek me and you will find me. The question I posed to myself many years ago, and the question I posed to you this morning is, are you seeking the fullness of God? Because he has so much for you. He has a spiritual upgrade for you. I want to talk this morning about a spiritual upgrade that we see through scripture in the life of one of my favorite Bible characters. And the reason this is important for me is because 10 years ago and 20 pounds ago, I... Thanks for laughing. Thanks for laughing at my pain. I, I had been raised in the church and I knew Jesus, but it was almost as if I was so unaware of this amazing dynamic gift that God has given to Christian believers. I walked into a conference completely alone. I was single, like a Pringle ready to mingle, praying for the one. But I went to this conference not to find a husband, you know, serve the house, find a spouse. Okay, get involved with the house of God. The Lord will bring you someone. Amen. But I had gone to this conference because I, I just needed something in my life and I didn't know what it was. But there was only two people I knew from the conference. One was the conference organizer and the second person was the pastor that put on the conference. And in a session, this pastor spoke about the power of the Holy Spirit and the power that we possess through the Spirit of God that dynamically changes our life. I had a conversation <clears throat> that led to a conversion and ultimately the call of God upon my life. I walked in as a 25-year-old Pharisee. Like, I loved exegesis. I loved the law. I loved apologetics. I loved going verse by verse, chapter by chapter. I would devour God's word. But see, what my soul wanted was revelation and all I was absorbing was information. I believe that the spirit living God wants to deposit revelation in you. And so I had put aside my pharisaical ways. And, and the reason why I point this out is because if we're not careful as Christians, we can become sad, you see, like the Sadducees. Or not fair, you see, like the Pharisees. I was raised in vacation Bible school, so I got cheesy Christian jokes like for days. So as I had to figure out this journey with God, much like I had to figure out the journey of figuring out this amazing car, my hope is that today we can have a conversation that leads to a conversion and ultimately, can I say, a call of God upon your life. Now, this is a massive goal. This is a massive goal, I understand that. Uh, but there's gonna be a number of verses we're gonna go through today. To make things easy, I put them on the screen, but if you brought your Bible, will you turn with me to Acts chapter seven? And as you're turning to Acts chapter seven, I wanna kind of unpack the life of a man that I love dearly throughout the pages of scripture. This man is educated, this man is zealous, this man is multilingual, this man is apologetic and sound in doctrine. This man is amazing. I refer to him as my Bible boyfriend. And you can have a crush on a dead guy. My husband said it's fine. I think sometimes he's jealous, but it's okay. I love Paul the Apostle. And um, it's, no, it, it, it's not a secret how much I love this character. In fact, um, one time I was in Texas and I was speaking at a women's conference. And I, was, I took a portion out of, of, of a letter that Paul wrote. And by the way, every message I give, I will always pepper some Paul in there because I love Paul. But she came up to me afterwards and she said, 
you know, <laughs> do you know that Paul the Apostle, you know, he was a portly fellow and, and he had a hook nose and an excretion in his eye that he referred to as the thorn in the flesh. <laughs> Bless your heart. You know, discovered when someone blesses your heart in the South, they're not blessing your heart. They're saying, you sure is stupid. <laughs> so I said, oh, are you telling me that a biblically literate, amazing man of God who traveled the globe to tell people about Jesus, performed the miraculous, is multilingual, has one eye? Guess what? I just became 50% better, okay? That's the message we need to start communicating to single ladies. I hear all the time, I just want a gorgeous man. No, you need a godly man, okay? Someone like Paul the Apostle. Uh-uh. No. So here this man had an interesting journey. And before we uh, dive into the significance of the text that we're about to read, I feel like there's some context. So bear with me, bear with, with me. Uh, context is everything for me, so I'm gonna give you some information. If you're a note taker, jot this down and you can go ahead and read this for yourself to guarantee that I'm not a heretic. See, something happened, something fascinating happened in the early church. It was the clear pivot point. It was the differentiator that took the church to the absolute next level. In Acts chapter 2, something happens. The Spirit of God descends on the Christian believers, and the gospel begins to just spread all over. In John chapter 14, when Jesus Christ was still on earth, he has this amazing conversation. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. No, 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 no. I'm going to leave you an advocate, a comforter. And the things that I have done, you will do these and greater so I want to read this text to make sure that we have an understanding. In John 14, verses 16 and 17, this is what it says. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because another sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I'm going to pause on that. We're going to get to that in a, little, a little bit later. But what happens is that in John chapter 14, Jesus makes a promise. And that promise in John 14 becomes a presence in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes upon the believers and their lives and faith are changed in radical ways. I firmly believe that even today, the Spirit of God will come upon believers and their lives will radically change in crazy ways. So during this time, the church begins to explode and multiply. And Acts following this text in Acts chapter 2, Acts 3, 4, 5, and 6, the church begins to multiply. But how many know with multiplication there's always division? During this time, there were some church haters, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the religious folks, the people that roll up to church on Sunday mornings with cara de fuchis, like, mm, everything smells. I don't like the music. I don't like the word. They're too charismatic. They're not charismatic enough. The parking's horrible. The coffee's bad. You know what? No, no, no. The problems that we have today in church were problems that they had back then too. But something happens. We see something fascinating happen. The multiplication started to expand into different homes, houses, and areas. They were a multi-site church. Huh. Isn't that funny that here at Calvary, it's a multi-site church. Wow. And during that time, they needed leaders to get up and lead and expand and give and serve. And guess what? This church is in a very similar space, place, and time as the early church. There's Connect Group Week 2 for you to discover your purpose and potential. Why? So that you can be all that Christ has called you to be. You want to get involved? Guess what? Lead a Connect Group. 
get involved. Or it was grow week two. Lead a connect group. There's a training for that. If you're sitting here thinking like, I'm so lonely. Our marriage sucks. It's on the rocks. Go to the gathering. Go to a luau. You never know what could happen. You know, just like luau it away. Get involved. So as the church was facing multiplication and, 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 and leadership gaps, guess what? Calvary's also facing that same thing, and here's an amazing opportunity for you to get involved. During that time, there was a man named Stephen. Scripture tells us in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, just jot it down, don't turn there. It says he was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit who performed great wonders and signs among the early church. Well, because he was such a dynamic character in the early church, Scripture tells us that he was put on trial. People wanted to shut him down and shut him up. What we see is that when he is actually brought on to trial, Stephen lays it down. And this religious group listened in silence to what he had to say because scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit gave him wisdom. At the end of this convincing argument, this convincing apologetic defense of the gospel, a man named Jesus who was the fulfillment of Mashiach, Messiah, he then says this in Acts chapter 7 verse 51, you should be there. You stiffed neck people. Your hearts, well, pause. In the BIV version, because sometimes we read the Bible like, oh, you stiffed neck people. What does that mean? In the BIV, Bianca International version, it's like, you arrogant, foolish people. You think you have all the answers. Well, let me go back to what Stephen says. You stiff neck people, your heart and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the who? Come on, church. You always resist the who? Don't resist the Holy Spirit in here today. These are fighting words. I mean, Stephen basically is like, mic drop, bye, boom. This is a fighting moment. They would have been, oh my word, did he just say that? He basically said, y tu mama también. Okay, that's basically what he said. And this whole recap, this, that joke would only fly in Miami, okay? Hey. This whole recap is to bring you to Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And it says, and Saul approved of killing him. Saul not only initiated the persecution and the prosecution of Christians, he oversaw the first murder of the Christian martyr, and that is Stephen. Saul is out for blood. He wants to stop these Christians. The word Christian comes from little Christ. We are Christians. We are imitators of Christ, and he wants to put a stop to that. Side note, there will always be resistance to the things that bring God glory. If your marriage will bring God glory, you will face resistance. If your academic pursuits will bring God glory, you will face resistance. If your parenting and child rearing is to train and raise up another generation that's going to bring God glory, guess what? You will face resistance. If your dreams and your aspirations, you're an entrepreneur, a business owner, and that dreams and aspirations are going to bring God glory, you will face resistance. But as the early church grew amidst persecution, I pray that we too can learn from our brothers and sisters in the faith and push past, knowing that persistence will rid resistance. So picture the scene. Saul is on is walking with his cronies and he's on a hot, dusty, dirty Damascus road because he's gonna go get those annoying Christians. 
How do we know this? In Acts chapter 9, go ahead and flip there if you brought your Bibles. But in Acts chapter 9, we are told in verse 1 that he writes a letter to the high priest. And he's letting the high priest know, hey, I've been on the prowl. I'm going to go get these suckers. I'm going to put an end to them. So he's traveling north. We are told that he's in Jerusalem. He's in the south. He's traveling north to go get them. And he's going to bring them down to put them on trial. He is breathing hot threats against the Christians. And he wants to take them as prisoners back down. But the accuser is about to be accused. The hunter is about to be hunted. And the confronter is about to be confronted. This is where we pick this up in Acts chapter 9, verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul, down on his knees, because he struck down, either theologians believe either a donkey or a horse, or simply just fell down to the ground, he's blinded. Blinded by the light, right? Okay, I just aged myself, whatever. So he's down on the floor, he's blinded by the light, and a voice that pierces heaven says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul, from his knees, blinded, begins to say, who are you, Lord? in a southern accent, probably with a big brass belt buckle. And if you're wondering why Saul has a southern accent, it's because I love my southern friends, but as I mentioned earlier, sometimes they're a little legalistic. You know, they love the law. They love just telling people they're wrong. So in my mind's eye, Paul, Saul, is a little bit of a legalist. And, and I know that I haven't been here in a couple years, so let me refresh your memory. And if this is your first time ever doing a study with me, you understand my interpretation of the Bible is a little bit different. And uh, yesterday I, was, I went to dinner and on my way back I rung an Uber. And I was sitting in the Uber car and the driver had asked me, oh, what are you doing in Miami? And, uh, and I told him, oh, I'm here to speak at a church and good friends of mine. And he said, well, what do you do? I said, oh, I teach the Bible like a novella. And he said, I'm sorry, what? So I went on to explain that most people will, will kind of read the Bible like an American soap opera, where a very sane, beautiful, tall woman with blonde hair, thighs that definitely do not touch, a tiny svelte waist with an ab de definition, will look at her forlorn lover very calmly, insanely, and say, but John, I, I don't understand. Why are you breaking up with me? Please don't go. And then a novella, she runs in like a bat out of hell. Eyelashes so big. When she blinks, you feel it through the screen. A dookie booty dress. And she yells at her lover, Pero Juanito, no se va mi amor, por qué? Por qué, ay Dios mío, no se va. And then you find out that Juanito runs in. Somebody shoots Juanito. You find out that Juanito's her baby daddy. And you're like, oh my gosh. Well, I told him I want to read the Bible like that. And then he says, oh, that's funny, because I'm an actor and I work for Univision in Telemundo. <laughs> you're on a novella? Guess where you're coming tomorrow? You're coming to Calvary City at 7 o'clock, okay? So I need all of you guys to pray for him, because he legit, he like slid into my DMs, and I slid back, and I said, 7 p.m., sucker, light box, see you there. <laughs> all right. So, I, wait, 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 just to clarify, he wasn't trying to holler at me. I told him I was happily married, all right, okay. So in my mind's eye, Saul says, who are you, Lord? 
And the voice that pierces the heaven says, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. Saul thought he had power and authority. And in a single moment, he realized that he was speaking to the voice of authority. The voice that spoke lightness, light into dark. The voice that spoke to Adam and Eve in the coolness of the Garden of Eden. The voice that spoke to Moses out of a burning bush. The voice that spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The voice that spoke to the prophets of the Old Testament. The voice that cried out from the cross, it is finished is the voice that pierced heaven to speak to soul. And I believe if you have ears to hear this morning, that same voice could speak to us and here today. So Saul had a conversation that led to a conversion. My fear is I see a lot of Christians operating from a sense of truth, capital truth, capital truth. But we go to the conversion rather than having a conversation. Turn or burn, sinner. It's heaven or hell. You got one option. Make it now. And I'm thinking we've lost, we've lost that loving feeling. The grace that Jesus so gave us and the patience that we had with so many people that were willing to sit with us and have a conversation. Because I believe based on this text and based on conversations with my own life, that conversations will lead to a conversion. The definition of conversion is a change in character, form, or function. For redemption to occur, conversation is necessary. Conversion is necessary because filled with the Holy Spirit, David went from lion killer to giant slayer. Peter went from a fisherman to a fisher of men. Mary Magdalene went from prostitute to proselyte. I went from a law-loving legalist to someone who loves the lost. This is the power of conversion. And when we have a conversation with God Almighty, we cannot help but be changed. And, and I, I want to first acknowledge that there is a difference. There's a difference. When we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, that's the gift of salvation. The amazing gift of salvation where God redeems us. Our sin that was black and dirty has become white as snow. Sin like scarlet and we become white as snow. What I'm talking about today is this free gift of an indwelling of God's presence in our life. A spiritual upgrade. We already know that we're anointed. We already know that we're called. But I'm talking a life filled with the power and presence of God. And what does that look like? Sometimes we talk about being filled with the Spirit. And because of television, because of historical baggage, or because we've looked at that denomination, that people group, that it gets conflicted or conflated. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when the Holy Spirit comes in our life, it will stop us from saying the things that we should not say. And it will empower us to say the things that we should say. It will stop us from doing the things that we should not do. Downloading, buying, sliding, purchasing, slamming, tooting, or swiping right and doing the things that we should be doing giving helping loving serving that's the power of the holy spirit instead of castigating people shaming people verbally emotionally abusing people we come and say i want to get in relationship with you i want to hear your story that is the power of the holy spirit see saul knew he was a jew of jews scripture tells us he knew the law but he never allowed the law to permeate and transform his life so he never allowed the spirit of the law to come in and breathe in him the way that the spirit breathed into Adam in the Garden of Eden. The way the spirit of God breathed in Ezekiel 37 of the Valley of Dry Bones. Or the way that the spirit of God breathed in the upper room in Acts chapter 2. To Saul, it was merely a set of rules, a set of traditions, but it wasn't something that was active and alive and breathing. And we, like Paul, could be stuck on rules and regulations and rightness. 
But may we never forget what Paul wrote to the Romans church that is applicable for us today in Romans 8, 11. The same spirit that resurrected Jesus Christ from the grave is alive in you. You don't have to live stooped down or dead because you are alive in Christ. You are not your anxiety. You are not your depression. You are not your bankruptcy. You are not your divorce. You're not your sin. You're not your shame. You're not your sickness. You're not your illness. You are anointed child of God, filled with the spirit of God to do what he's called you to do and it's not because of anything that you have done or because you're cute because you speak English or because you're tall or because your thighs don't touch it is not because of you it is in spite of you it is because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for us and I see amen I see men and women living half-baked lives like spiritual Eeyores oh I'm just so sad I'm a Christian, but you know, oppression is real. No, you know what? The words of Jesus says, I have come to give you life and life abundant. Live, live, be raised and new in Christ. Spurgeon says, far too many Christians have only come through Calvary and not through Pentecost. So as a result, they're butterflies when they're meant to be eagles. I want us to rise. I want us to get up and soar. I want a generation of people to believe and specifically for this house to believe that uh, uh, it's not our history. We haven't seen revival in our history, but revival awaits us in our destiny of what this church and what these campuses are going to do in Kendall, surrounding areas, West Kendall, city. I mean, there's more grand ground to be taken. And I want us, the spirit of uh, the church of God, to be filled with the spirit of God. Because revival starts here, revival starts now, and it starts in our hearts. But the question I ask is how? So based on this passage that we've just re read out of Acts chapter 9, I want to see how a conversation and conversion leads Saul, ultimately Paul, to the call upon his life. In verse 4, we are told that he struck down. Uh, he's on his knees. He's blinded. And the first thing that we see in verse 6 is this phrase, now get up. Point number one, I'm being filled and activated into our call is get up. God tells Paul to get up. We aren't supposed to live on the ground cowering of our sin and our shame. We see, I see so many good, well-intentioned Christians say, mea culpa. I've sinned. It's my fault. I've done bad. And Jesus is saying, get up. To those in here, get up. That's the gift of salvation. Because of the bloodshed on Calvary, you could get up. In Mark chapter 4, we see this beautiful story of a father whose daughter was on death's door. And he runs and says, Jesus, Jesus, come save my daughter. She's not going to make it. And scripture tells us that Jesus goes with the father. And by the time they, they made it into the house, the mourners and the weepers and the widows are crying out, saying, she's dead, she's gone. And Jesus turns to them and says, she's not dead. She's merely sleeping. And they laughed and they scorned. Jesus walked into the room. And as he whispered over this girl, this young girl, he says, Talitha Koum, little girl, rise. That same breath, that same father, that same word is speaking to those in here where people laugh and say, that person's dead. That person's done. God has nothing else for them. I'm here to tell you the voice of Jesus is saying, get up and rise. You are not dead. And if you are not dead, then you are not done. You're not dead, so don't act like it. Point two, now get up and go into the city. 
Point two is go. We can't stay here in our holy huddle. Us four and no more. No, 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 no. We got to get up and go into our cities and go into our colleges and go into our communities and go into our churches and say, this is what God has done for me. And be so in tune to the voice of the spirit that says, go make amends with your sister. Go make amends with your brother. Go bring in the orphan and the widowed. Go adopt that foster child. Go serve in church. Will God ask us to do things that are hard? All the time. Because if we do it in our flesh and in our goodness, then we get the glory. Oh, look what, look what I did. Look what I did and God was able to, you know, come in and sprinkle some love. But when God asks us to do impossible things, he's the one that gets the glory. Look at point three. Get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. So number three is you'll be told what to do. And this is the hard part because we're going to walk out these doors. And we want an action plan and we want three steps and five ways and seven tips. And it doesn't work like that. We have to be willing to wait and listen to the voice of God because there is more. At this time, what Saul didn't know was that there was a man named Ananias. Ananias was praying to God and as he was praying to God, he had a vision. In this vision, God tells Ananias, there's a man named Saul and you will meet him on a street called Straight. And I want you to pray with him. And Ananias, in my mind, Ananias has got to be thug, right? Because if he's having conversation with God, you know he's a G. And he's like, you want me to do what? You want me to go where? You want me to lay hands on, on Saul? Saul who's killing Christians? You want me to lay hands on him? He gonna lay hands on me, okay? Uh-uh. But as Ananias obeyed and went to Saul, I pray that we too, when the Spirit of God speaks to us, we go. Because this is what happens. Look at verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you might see again and be filled with what? Come on, church, and be filled with what? And be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because Saul had all the knowledge. Saul had all the information. Now, through the filling of the Spirit of God, he was going to have divine revelation. The scripture tells us something like scales fell off of his eyes. He could see again, and his life was forever changed. Paul probably would have never known that he would have been read by billions of people. Paul would have never known the effect that he would have on the global church. Paul would have never known that he would be able to heal and touch people. Paul would have never known that he'd be able to bring someone back from the dead. Paul would have never known that he would sit with political, powerful pundits. Paul would have never known that he would be one of the most powerful and political people of his era. But Paul had a conversation that led to a conversion and ultimately the call of God upon his life because he was willing. I would have never in a million years thought that 10 years after that conversation that I would serve under my dad and grow a youth ministry in East Los Angeles, California. I never thought that I would work for Nick and Christine Kane, lifting up A21 for six years. I would have never thought that I'd be standing a little girl, a first generation American from the hood, illiterate, overweight, obese, marked up by statisticians as definitely prone to failure, to be standing here preaching and communicating the truth of the errant word of God. I would have never thought that I'd go into prisons and bring the message of freedom and life to inmates. I would have never known that in 27 days, that we're going to be starting a church and you guys have paved the way and inspired what I want church to be. And this happened because of the Holy Spirit. So as the band begins to just worship over us, I just want to create a worship moment. And this is for those that know I'm saved, but I'm, I'm in a season right now where I need an extra dose of the Holy Ghost. I need an, in, I need an indwelling, because I leak. It's okay, we're not perfect, 
We're like crackpots, you know, like we there, but sometimes we leak. And, and if you're here this morning, you're like, God's asked me to do something big and I know in my flesh and my weakness, I cannot do it, but by the Spirit of God, I can. If you need a fresh indwelling of the Holy Spirit right where you are, will you just raise your hand? Just say, I need the Holy Spirit to help me in this moment of life. And there's nothing mystical, there's nothing crazy. It's just saying, I need more. I need more of your Spirit, God. And so Spirit of the living God, we ask that you fall afresh on us. I ask, Lord Jesus, that for those that are in great need of you, that you begin to do the miraculous in their life, that you open up doors that no man can open, that you close doors no man can close, that you provide finances, you provide relationships, you provide in ways that we didn't even know. You are a God who is able. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. May our cup run over today in the mighty name of Jesus. Can we just thank God? for what he's doing in the life because he's a good God and a mighty God. So God, we give you all honor, we give you all glory, we give you all praise and we ask you to do exceedingly abundantly right now in the lives of those that don't even know you. So right where you are, right where you're at, if you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, or maybe you have back in the day and, and you feel like really far from God, you know that you're far from God. If you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, or you feel like, I need, I've been so far away, and I know I need to get back to God, right where you're at, right where you are, I just want to invite you to say yes to Jesus, to say, I believe. Because Romans tells us if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. So right where you are, you say, I know that I need Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the light of my life and salvation for me. Will you raise your hand by saying, I believe, wherever you're at, amazing. God bless you, 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 God bless you. In the overflow online, God sees you, we love you. Can we stand to our feet? Can we thank God for what he's doing in this house? God, we give you our heart, we give you our eyes, we give you our ears, we give you our soul, we say, speak, God move your servants are listening we want you to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask think or imagine you are a good god a god who loves us a god who has a plan and a future so do the impossible blow our minds complete the miraculous in the mighty name of jesus we pray amen and amen and amen and amen come on can we make some noise for bianca Olthoff this morning